you know, as we mentioned before a little bit, there there is a disconnect there between how people are viewing issue, uh, particularly economic issue and politician performance versus then how they vote. And that has that needs to be bridged if there's going to be more of an improvement to get the right people in office. The Small Business Rundown is the official podcast of the National Federation of Independent Business, the member-driven voice of small business. NFIB and our members advocate to keep America's small businesses strong and independent in Washington, D.C., all 50 states, and the nation's courts. Welcome to the Small Business Rundown, a bi-weekly podcast with information on independent businesses' victories and challenges in Washington, D.C. and state capitals. I'm Adam Temple, NFIB's Senior Vice President for Advocacy, and today I'm excited to have Jim Ellis of the Ellis Insight joining us. Jim's been a frequent guest on NFIB webinars and focuses on identifying and analyzing emerging trends in elections and campaigns. We also welcome back NFIB Senior National Political Director Sharon Susson. Back to the podcast for the second time. Jim, Sharon, thank you. Thank you. It's good to to be be here, here. Adam. So I'm looking forward to hearing both of your takes on the recent elections and what they mean for the upcoming 2024 elections. Um, A note for listeners, given the way election news moves quickly, I want to mention that we're recording this episode on Friday, November 10th, just three days after the November 7th election. So, Jen, let's start by talking about what happened on November 7th. Can you give us any of the big takeaways from the uh, elections in 2023? Yes, Adam, and I think my take is a little bit different than what we're seeing and the prevailing wisdom here, and it's really promulgated a lot by the Republicans themselves, uh, kind of beating themselves up for the performance on Tuesday night. And I'm saying, are they not looking at the numbers? Hmm. And the presidential candidates in that debate were all saying this was a disaster and this was a big loss. I'm thinking they're, they're saying this without actually seeing what happened. And it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a great victory, but it wasn't a disaster. Let's look at what happened. So they look at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. They reelected a popular Democratic governor. If you look throughout his whole term, his numbers were very good. Right. People liked the job he was doing. And it was a close election. Though Kentucky tends to be a very strong Republican state at the federal level, they also tend to like Democratic governors. So that was not particularly unusual to see an incumbent Democratic governor be reelected. They reelect the Republican governor in Mississippi. We come to then the Virginia races, the state legislature, 140 different races. Mm-hmm. And it comes down now to 51 to 49 Democratic majority in the state house and 21 to 19 in the Senate. 2,000 votes switching would have brought a Senate Republican majority in the Senate and 2,500 in the House. Hmm. This is not a disastrous result in a state that is a Democratic state, Virginia. And then you have a court-drawn redistricting map, which is, was a radical change over the map that was previously in place to the point where we had four, I believe, four Democrats and one Republican state senator defeated in the primary mm-hmm. back in June. That's how radically different the map was because they changed the geography. They even changed all the numbers. So it was a totally different map drawn by a court. And the court draw, drew it to be more of a kind of a lean Democratic map. And that's what happened. All right, right. So what we saw was kind of a normal thing. Now, let's go up to New York for a minute. That's not getting any publicity. The Republicans elected a city councilwoman to represent the Bronx for the first time in 20 years. In Suffolk County, which, of course, is the furthest eastern county on Long Island, they elected a Republican county executive. And for the first time in decades... 
the Republicans now have control of the local government and all of Long Island. Hmm. In fact, former Senator Al D'Amato said this is really a political earthquake that happened up there. So that's not getting enough publicity. And But do the Republicans still need to refine their message as they were talking about on the debate? Absolutely. They still have to come up with a better response on the abortion issue, and they have to continue to do a better job telling people what they are going to do to make their lives better and not just how bad the Democratic opponents are. Right, right. And as you know, our most of our audience is small business owners. Yes. Are there any implications uh, or, or reads to take from the elections that impact small business owners specifically? Yeah, I think they are for as a precursor maybe to 2024. And, and the message really has to change. And the thing I'm finding that's rather hard to explain and it directly relates to small business, are, are these economic issues. And if you look at poll after poll after poll, Republican polls, Democratic polls, media polls, university polls, they all show the same thing, that people don't like where we are on the economy. We're think, they think the country's on the wrong track. They are very upset with how Biden has managed the economy and particularly inflation. They don't like the prices that obviously affects the whole small business world. Yet what are they doing? They go back and they really, it's not so much they go back and reelect Democrats. They're reelecting all the incumbents. Right. And that's what I find really difficult to understand. People by and large and overwhelmingly don't like the direction that the country and most states are headed. Yet when they go in the voting booth, we're reelecting all hmm. the incumbents. In 2022, and we saw this, this pattern continue in 2023, we had um, 50 Five, excuse me, 56 governors and senators ran for re-election in 2022. 55 of them won. Hmm. The U.S. House retention level share, and you and I have talked about this many times, was 98.1%. So 98.1% of the incumbents in the U.S. House who ran for re-election in 2020 won. We saw those same types of patterns in the 2023 election. So there is a disconnect in terms of how people view the economy right now and what it's doing to business versus how they're voting. And that's the, that's the bridge I think the more pro-business candidates have to begin to find a better way to communicate what they're going to do to translate people's current feelings into actual votes. And that's not, that is not happening at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Sharon, speaking of actual votes, the political team was uh, at NFIB was, was busy this season. Can you share some of the ways that NFIB's political team helped educate and engage voters leading up to the election? Sure. You know, like NFIB, our program, we always look to, you know, identify the pro-small business candidates for our state uh, PAC to, to support. We encourage our members to engage to help those candidates, and then we run programs to ensure we get out the small business vote. Our voter guides, we were doing um, digital ads in key areas, and our road team in some states. So we were really doing all we could to get out the small business vote. You know, these off-year elections uh, provide a really great chance for us to um, hone our message, test new, new uh, techniques for campaigning. Uh, it turned out to be a quite a busy year. As Jim mentioned, there's regularly scheduled elections in Virginia, New Jersey, Louisiana, Mississippi, Kentucky. Uh, we had judicial elections in Pennsylvania and even ballot initiatives. But in all cases, our priority is, is to make sure our members know what is at stake, how they can engage, um, and vote for the pro-small business candidates or issues on the ballot. 
And I do want to hear a little bit more about how pro-small business candidates did uh, in the election. But first, before we get into that, we endorse candidates here at, at, at NFIB. Can you get into why and how we approach that process? You know, simply, we support candidates who support small business. Uh, we have a federal PAC who took a little break this election, but a focus being on the states. But, you know, we look at voting records, positions on issues. I, I know there was a lot of other issues that were being discussed by voters in states. Uh, we don't get involved in those other discussions, really, that were driving a lot of elections and, and did impact uh, results. Um, so we really focused on the election, the issues that matter to our members. Uh, our, our state PACs made those determinations to support candidates. And we try to use our um, you know, resources in the most efficient and effective way to help influence the pro-small business outcomes and that we, that we did enjoy. And how did NFIB's endorse candidates, how did they fare? You know, it was a good night for NFIB. We were involved in the right races in the right places. Overall, 89% of our small business endorsements won. Uh, that includes uh, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, Virginia, uh, 89% win there, New Jersey, 81 percent. And the three ballot initiatives in Colorado, Texas, and Maine, all three of those won, 100 percent there. Um, Unfortunately, did not win the judicial race in Pennsylvania. There was a special election in Massachusetts. We did win there. So overall, really, really pleased with our outcomes, uh, with a a really um, integrated uh, plans and programs that we, uh, our staffs, put together. Uh, 89 percent, I'm pretty happy with that. Jim, did did we learn anything from the 23 elections that would apply to next year's elections? Yes, I think so. The numbers that Sharon has there are very impressive, and it shows that those programs, particularly Get Out the Vote, works. And, you know, NFIB isn't the only group that's out there trying to turn out the vote, but together everybody really got the vote out because I haven't done the full analysis yet and, and won't until the numbers are final, but at first glance around these states, the turnout looks very high for that type of an election. And that proves, I think, that these grassroots programs that Sharon was discussing really, really work. Right. And the results are evident in what she was just saying. For a precursor for 2024, uh, as you know, as we mentioned before a little bit, there, there is a disconnect there be- between how people are viewing issue, uh, particularly economic issue and politician performance versus then how they vote. And that has that needs to be bridged if there's going to be more of an improvement to get the right people in office. Right. And you mentioned messaging earlier, but are there other things that uh, that folks need to take into account that, that really need to happen to elect pro-small business candidates? Well, the message in the grassroots programs. I mean, I think what Sharon talked about, these types of programs and getting the word out and um, the NFIB members to encourage like-minded voters that they know if, uh, to go out and vote, making sure, you know, the four, even four or five people, if every NFIB member could, knew how these people were going to vote on small business issues and say, hey, remember the election is here. If you, or if you're in a state that has mail balloting, you could mail in or you have early voting. There's so many ways to vote now and just make sure these folks do it. But if everybody just did, you know, three to five people, that would help immensely. Sharon, what are some of the races that NFIB and its PACs are looking at uh, prioritizing next year? Sure. You know, our vetting process is underway. We've already met with, uh, I believe, well over 
30 or 35 congressional candidates. You know, I met with 147 last cycle, so we have a lot more to, to go. Um, but our goals are clear. You know, we want to maintain and grow the pro-small business majority in the House. Um, we, we need and want one in the Senate as well. Um, the margins are tight. What is it, four seats in the House, Jim? Yes, when the special election in Utah make it five, five. if the Republicans hold on to that. So five in the House, and now really with uh, Senator Manchin now announcing his retirement here this week, mm-hmm. uh, the Republicans are virtually a lock to win that. And I think it's reasonable to say you have a 50-50 Senate. What, what I'll say about Senator Manchin is that he um, – you know, it's been a guardian of small business. And so, uh, you know, we NFIB don't look at, at the partisan makeup of the of the Congress as much as we're looking for, you know, we want to have each house controlled by, you know, strong and consistent advocates for small business. So, you know, again, our priorities are, are protecting our small business incumbents um, and supporting as many competitive challenger candidates as we can. You know, in the Senate, you know, there's there's a couple key states, obviously, to watch, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Montana, right. uh, West Virginia, the dynamics just this week just changed, and Nevada also. These are yep. these are and the these, Arizona wild card. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we as NFIB, you know, you know, first and foremost, we want to, uh, you know, uh, I think two um, incumbents in Florida and Texas who are supporters of small business are up for re-election. Those are two states we're going to keep an eye on. But, you know, our goal is is to really make sure we're, we're supporting the, the strong, consistent small business candidates in those states. Um, in the House, it's a little bit harder to, to see, but, you know, redistricting has has um, mm-hmm. will influence that a bit. North Carolina should pick up a couple of, of pro-small business seats, uh, um, but we'll see. There's been, what, just yesterday, three members of Congress uh, decided not to run again. So with what has gone on here in Washington, uh, members of Congress are going back home hearing, um, you know, from their constituents. And so we're likely to see more uh, open seats in the coming weeks for sure. Jim, what's grabbing your attention about the 24 elections? Well, obviously the presidential race. Right. Uh, that, that's going to set the tone across the board, particularly in relation to turnout. I mean, most people are going to make their decision as to whether to vote uh, or not, whether even to vote based on how they view that presidential race. And I think that's the that's really something that the what we would call down ballot races, U.S. Senate, U.S. House, and then your local races, that's a challenge for those candidates to really make sure that people are going out, just not to thinking about the presidential race, but how important their own races are as well, and to be motivated to vote based upon those particular candidates. And Mm -hmm. I know that's what the programs that Sharon operates concentrate on, too, and make those small business issues a focal point in driving people to the polls. Right. Before we go, is there anything either of you'd like to add? I would just say stay tuned for the ride. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. Politics is is certainly unpredictable. Um, But please stay tuned to to obviously our podcast here and other NFIB communications for um, updates from our team. Feel free to reach out at political at NFIB.org if you want to learn more about what we do and, and how you can help. Well, and the one thing I think we can predict for 2024 is the results are going to be close, close across the board. Uh, we have a very tight presidential race. You know, let's go back to, to, to 2020. That race was really only decided by 65,000 votes at the end of the day. When you add up the margins in Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and the second congressional district of Nebraska, Nebraska and Maine allow their congressional right. districts to carry electoral votes. That was it. 65,000 votes elected Joe Biden. I think we're going to have something similar to that this time. 
And then, as we were just discussing, these margins in the House and the Senate are so tight. We really could see a very interesting result where you could see uh, a new president, a new majority in the House, and a new partisan majority in the Senate, and still end up with split government. <laughs> and it's, it's just a very interesting time in American politics. And, and so the, from a prediction standpoint, we can predict on close elections. And that's why it's so important to be in, more involved than ever. But right. the outcome is completely un, un, unpredictable at this point in time. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you both for being here. I think we should mark our calendars for a year from now and see how our predictions fare. <laughs> Listeners can find out more information on small business issues and NFIB PAC-endorsed candidates this election season at the link in today's show notes. And if you have small business podcast topics or questions, we'd love to hear them. Answer them on a future podcast so you'll find our email address in the show notes as well. And now I want to thank you, the listeners, for joining us on today's Small Business Rundown. We'll be back every two weeks bringing you news and analysis from Washington, D.C. and state capitals so that you, whether you're a small business owner or a supporter of one, can continue to blaze a trail. The Small Business Rundown is brought to you by NFIB, the voice of small business. You can find us at NFIB.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.